Good morning. Come on in. Have a seat. We want to get started this morning, uh, 6.45, bright and early, and I uh, want to thank you for being here. How many of you were here last night about this time? <laughs> yeah. All right. Bless y'all. Thank you for getting up early with me and coming and joining us. What a wonderful night it was to be a part of the, uh, the IMB commissioning service. Forty brand new missionaries we got to uh, commission to the Lord and to his work last night. Had a chance afterward to speak to most of them, and man, what a, what a blessing uh, that, that was, and what an honor for our church to be a part, uh, to be a part of that, and many of you were hosts and hostesses and helped in many ways, and so we want to thank you, and we want to thank you guys for joining us online, and uh, we appreciate you tuning us in, and if, it, if we look a little sleepy this morning, it's because we are a little sleepy uh, this morning, but we're glad that you guys watch us online, and others will pull us up in the future. And as we record these and, and bank these, we will um, make these available to anybody that wants to, uh, to watch them. And I do want to re- remind you, eventually, these get put on uh, line as far as the, um, uh, the manuscripts. Um, had a question asked just this week that pertained to entire sanctification and perseverance of the saints. Uh, in other words, you can become completely holy in this life with no sin whatsoever, but you can lose your salvation, is what the person believed. So I said, well, I got a little something for you. <laughs> so I sent it to him, and I hope, uh, hope he's encouraged by it. I hope it helps him. So you may find yourself in a situation like that. I was uh, sitting in, at dinner uh, here Tuesday night with our, uh, some of our IMB personnel and trustees, and um, a guy came up to me, and he said... Um, there's a, relig- a, a Christian a group, um, and somebody's concerned about them that they're modalist. And uh, I thought, I know what that is. Uh, and I just smiled. I, did, I didn't say anything. And I said, people come to our systematic theology class, they know that that's a heresy about the Trinity where God's in different modes. He's God the Father at one mode, and then he's God the Son at another mode, and then God the Holy Spirit. And I was explaining to somebody, I said, what really messes that up is when Jesus got baptized. Because God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descends on him. So, uh, and I told that person, if you'd come to my class, you'd know what that is. No, I'm just kidding. Just, I did say that, by the way, but I, I was joking. I was kind because it was my wife. So anyhow, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's get started uh, this morning. Hello, dear, if you're watching, and I don't think you are. I just left the house. All right, I'm excited about this um, lesson. I, it's on sanctification and perseverance of the saints. And, and really, it's, it's interesting because this is one of the more controversial uh, doctrines uh, in the Christian faith. Now, can a person get to a place where they are absolutely perfect with no residue of sin whatsoever in their lives on this lie, in this life? Uh, Charles Finney said, absolutely unequivocally. And Paul's problem was, and I was like, oh, goodness, after that, I, I couldn't follow him. You know, well, here's Paul's problem. He just wasn't sanctified. He just kept sinning, and I'm like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. If the Apostle Paul never reached a state of entire sanctification, I don't think I am either. You know what I'm saying? And so we are in progress. We're in a process as the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies us. Now, that's not a license to sin. And we shouldn't say, well, I'm just a little old me. I've always had a temper. I always have a temper. No, you shouldn't say that. Because God, the Holy Spirit, does sanctify us. And, and the older we get, the more and more we should be looking like and conform to the image of Christ. You know, the older we get, sometimes just the opposite is true. The older we get, the more cantankerous and, and difficult we become. 
but if we've been walking with Christ that long, he, we should be looking more like him, being full of the Holy Spirit, personifying all those gifts of the Spirit. But the second one is even more controversial. I'm telling you, there are many, many believers who absolutely unequivocally believe you can lose your salvation. How many of y'all know anybody like that? Do y'all know anybody like that? I know a bunch of people like that. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the Wesleyan or the Assembly of God or in, in other uh, denominations and so forth that really believe uh, that a person can get to the point where they lose their salvation. But uh, Reformed tradition is very helpful at this point in the perseverance of the saints. And I would say most Baptists are uh, in, in that camp of saying, no, 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 you didn't earn it and you can't lose it. Uh, because that's more of a statement about God than it is about man. You know, then you're saying God can't do something. He can't keep something that he used to, used to have. I just can't make that statement uh, either. Okay, so let's, let's begin with a word of prayer, and we will jump right in here today. Dear God, will you come before you as your children, just tell you we love you, appreciate you so much. We adore you. We yield our lives uh, to your authority this morning. We ask for grace, we ask for strength, I pray that our minds would be quickened today, that we would understand everything you want us to understand. Uh, Lord, for some, I pray they'd be encouraged today, that they would be blessed as a result of being here, and for others, Lord, may they be convicted, and may others, Lord, just say, I need to change, I need to change my thinking in this particular area. Lord, we pray that you, the Holy Spirit, would be our guide, you'd be our comforter, you'd be our instructor. And uh, we just look forward, dear Lord, for this next hour, the things that you will teach us. And we're reminded, Lord, of how grateful we are for your word, Lord. It teaches us. It is life to our flesh, Lord, strength to our bones, and we thank you for it. Pray, Lord, for those that are watching online and for the, these that are here this morning at Great Hills, uh, that, Lord, you would just bless them and speak to us and help me, Lord, as I give this lesson. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to tell people we're saved in a moment, but we're sanctified uh, for a what? Anybody? For a lifetime. And that's, to me, um, a good way to put talking about per, uh, a sanctification or walking in holiness uh, with the Lord. Uh, Grudem defines sanctification this way on page um, 746. Man, that's a big book. I don't know if y'all ever need a workout, just, just need to do some curls or something. You know, just take this book. I don't know if y'all can see where I am in the book. Uh, I don't know if y'all can see my little marker. It's right here. I just finished reading the next to the last section for our, for our class. And I'm, I almost see the end uh, is in sight. It's kind of bittersweet because I've enjoyed so much reading that. Here's how he defines this doctrine of sanctification. He says it is a progressive work. Now that tells you right there what he thinks about it. He does not say it is a finished work whereby you attain entire sanctification, completion, and you can just go on to heaven. He doesn't say that. He says that it is a progressive work of God and man, which is interesting. Sanctification is a, it is a two-way street, he would say. It is a, a very dynamic, synergistic process where God and man work together that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like uh, Jesus Christ in our lives. So number one, let's look at the stages of sanctification. There are going to be about three of these different stages of sanctification. It'll have a beginning, it'll have a middle, and it'll have an end, all right? So number one, sanctification begins at regeneration. 
Sanctification begins at regeneration or at the point of salvation. The Apostle Paul says that follower of Christ who have experienced, we are those who have experienced the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. And that's uh, Titus 3.5. Once we're born again, we're genuinely saved. The Spirit of God comes to live within us. Now listen to this statement. And then we cannot continue to yield to sin perpetually and habitually. And that's where 1 John uh, helps us. When we can read 1 John 3.9, it talks about the... Uh, we're not able to yield to sin perpetually. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Let's leave that verse up there for, for just a minute. Um, what, what he's saying is we, we cannot continue to live in a habitual, ongoing, perpetual state of sin. And you've probably heard this before, and I hope this helps you in understanding this text, that John uses a lot of present tense verbs here. And so you could translate it, whoever has been born of God, now that's not a present tense, that's something that's happened in the past, we've been born again, he does not sin. He's saying he cannot continually live in a life of sin. But why? Because God's seed is in us. And since the Holy Spirit, that guaranteed deposit is in us, it prevents us from living a perpetual, ongoing life of sin with no remorse, no conviction. But what about that guy, Brother Danny? Let's go there. What about that guy who says he was saved and he's baptized, he's on his way to glory, he has no desire for God, no desire to witness, no desire for church. He lives just like a lost person lives, but he says he's on his way to glory. John says, no, he's not. John says, I don't care what he said. I don't care how many times he got baptized or prayed a prayer. If he is dominated by sin, I mean, he is, he is under the bondage and the control of sin, and, and he is not born again. You say, where in the world would you read such an ideal. What about grace? What about truth? You know, what about truth? I mean, that's one of the reasons I know I am saved and I'm going to heaven. I can't get away with anything. I'm, I, I can sin. I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't feel good about that, Lord. And so I'm convicted, and then I, I stop. And I, not that I don't ever repeat that sin again, but that I don't do that sin every moment of my life, and it's not something continual uh, in my life. Uh, the moral change begins, uh, Grudem says, at regeneration. So there is initially some, quote, overlap between regeneration and sanctification. For this moral change is actually a part of regeneration, he says. Uh, so these two are interwoven or they overlap with one another, regeneration and sanctification. In Acts 20, 32, Paul refers to believers as those who are sanctified. Now, he uses an interesting uh, verb tense here. He uses a perfect passive participle. And whenever you use the perfect tense, and a lot of times the perfect tense is used in matters of soteriology, in matters of salvation. A lot of times Paul will use this perfect tense to say that we are saved, which means we were saved at a point in time. We are presently, currently being saved. And then we are future tense. We will be consummated saved. And so the perfect tense is really a rich uh, verb tense, and it's one of those in, in Greek that, uh, that we had to study and conjugate and parse forever. But if anybody were to ask you, well, how's our salvation described in Scripture? You could say oftentimes it's described in the perfect tense, which talks about an event that happened in the past that has current ramification for the present and that is, uh, that is secure uh, in the future. Sanctified at conversion, and we are currently being sanctified and will continue to be. 
If we're not growing in more Christ-likeness, then we are not living and experiencing the Christian life that God intends for us to enjoy uh, and to live. Uh, The Bible says we are dead to sin. Sin will no longer have dominion or reign over our bodies. And you can go to Romans, and Romans teaches us this. Romans 6.11, 6.14, 6.18. Because he lives and he lives within us, we have the power to overcome every enticement and every temptation uh, to sin. Now, again, I don't think we can ever reach an entire state of perfection and sanctification, but we should not say that, well, you know, I know I'm just, I'm just in process. I'm always going to be in process. I'm always just going to have a problem with lust and pornography. Man, I just, I wish I could get over that, but I, you know, I just can't, but I'm so glad I'm saved, and I know that as soon as I turn that, that, uh, uh, that computer on, I feel bad about it, but God will forgive me, but tomorrow I know I'll just go right back. You've got to be careful. I mean, do you, do you really have the Spirit of God living within you? What is the Spirit's name? What is he referred to throughout Scripture? He's called the what Spirit? Come on. He's called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that separates us from sin and who lives, uh, lives within us. Uh, God gives us victory through Christ, and that's how we live a life of holiness. Romans 6.14 says, boy, this is a good one. If I didn't put this one on the screen, and I didn't, but you ought to jot this one down. Romans 6.14 says, quote, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion. It will not dominate you. It will not, it will not p- possess you, okay? It's, it's kind of like demons. They can oppress us, but they cannot possess us, Amen. And sin can oppress us, and we can be tempted, and sometimes we fall into temptation. But it doesn't dominate us. It's, it's not over and over and over. The second stage of sanctification, number one, it begins at conversion. Number two, it, it continues or it increases throughout our life. As we grow in Christ, we become more and more conformed to his image and less and less like uh, the world. Growing in righteousness, <laughs> I like this, he said, We ought to grow in righteousness like we used to grow in sinfulness. Uh, As lost people, we we just were good at it. You know, we just mastered that craft of being bad. Can I get a witness? I mean, we we were good at it. I mean, you know, and and, and Grudem says, yes, just like you used to do that with your old nature, now that you have a new nature, there should be this progression of you becoming more and more uh, like Christ. Grow in sanctification and righteousness. In the process, not, not arrived, not completely arrived, but in the process. Uh, I was trying to share with this person the other day that, um, you know, he, he corrected me. He said that I said that I was a sinner. He said, you're not a sinner. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> I am a sinner. And he said, no, you're not. I said, well, if the greatest Christian ever lived said, I am the chief of sinners, he did not say, I was the chief of sinners. Did you catch that? Paul said, I am. And then he also said in Romans 7, he said, man, I do some things I don't want to do. And the things I need to be doing, sometimes I don't do them. Some say, well, that's Paul before he was saved. Really? Is that the way you see that? I mean, is that the context? Is that, is that clearly demarcated that he's saying? No, I think Paul is just being honest. And he is saying, um, I, 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 at times I struggle. And at times I sin doesn't mean I lose my salvation. It means that I'm a child of God and I'm making my... Uh, my sanctification complete and holiness complete, walking toward the Lord, but I have not, I have not arrived. Um, so it begins with regeneration. It should continue throughout the course of our life. We're being more and more conformed in the image of Christ. And then number three, it is complete. There is a point of completion in sanctification, and that happens either when we die 
or when Christ returns. If it happens at death, our souls at death are, are with Jesus. And if it happens at his second return, his return, then our bodies. Our, then we receive those resurrected, glorified bodies. In heaven, we will be completely just and made perfect. So I like to tell people we're on a journey. We have moments of moving ahead, and then we have moments of regression. We have moments of sanctification, and we have moments of, of, of regression. During those times, we have to do what 1 John 1, 9 tells us. And he says, if anybody says they have not sinned, they lie. You know, they do not, do not the truth. So when we sin, if we confess our sins, who's he writing that to? Is he writing that to little children, no, who are not saved? No, he's writing that to us. He's writing that to believers. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just, and he will forgive us. Never fully realized in, in this life. Um, again, some people disagree, and here's some of the passages they appeal to. Number one, they appealed to Matthew 5, 48, when they said, Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And they would argue, well, why would Jesus give us a command if there was no way whatsoever we could ever accomplish that command? Well, I think that's easy. I think Jesus is saying, this is the goal. This is what you're to strive for. You're to strive to be like me, to be perfect. Uh, but I don't read in that that there is a place where you can actually say, I have reached that point. I, I just know me too much. I, in fact, the times that I think I'm really hot stuff and I'm doing good, then I'm not doing good because then that, that hideous thing that starts with a P, what does it get us? It pride. I mean, you know, that's what was with uh, Phineas, what I had a real problem with that because you could, you could feel the pride coming in. Some of you may not be able to, but I, I can. I have reached that, that point. I'm like, man. So Second uh, Corinthians 7.1 is another text they would appeal to. and says, make holiness perfect. Make holiness perfect. Of course, you can translate the word perfect, complete or fully satisfied. Ecclesiastes 7.20 is not one of those verses they appeal to, but it is a good rebuttal verse when it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And that's Ecclesiastes 7.20. 1 John 1.8, the Apostle John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But we should not lose heart in light of the fact that we will never be perfect on this earth, and we must certainly not get to the point where we say... Well, since I can't, and I'll never reach that state, then I guess it's just okay if, you know, if I just kind of indulge and I just sin. In fact, Paul talked about that in Romans. In Romans 6, 1, he says, you know, should we say, well, let's just let grace abound so that it will cover my sin? And he says, uh, heaven forbid. He says, certainly, certainly not. I like Grudem's point. He says, as we mature in Christ, our sins are not so much in word or deed, but it seems to be that they are sins of the heart, sins of our motives, like the sin of, of pride, lack of faith, not loving God with all of our hearts, not loving our neighbors as ourselves, failure to trust God completely in every area of our life, claim every promise that God gives us in his word, and those are more our besetting sins, uh, if you will. You know, I came across something uh, recently in my, in my study, and I, uh, and I want to share this with you because it's, it's, it's interesting that a lot of times we, we pick on the sins we want to pick on, you know. And when we do that, it, we think it makes us look better 
uh, for example, the sin of homosexuality. And boy, I tell you, if there is a sin being paraded that's being broadcast in our culture today, it, it, it is that one. And, uh, and if you're anything like me, you, you get very irritated with that. You get very aggravated with that. And so I came across this, this study in my Bible the other day. I was reading, it says in Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs 16:5 that the person who is proud in heart is an abomination to God. And it's the same Hebrew word in Leviticus 18.22, to-eba, it's the same Hebrew word where it says homosexual behavior is an abomination before God. So we, we, that's an interesting word for us, that if we're, we're proud and arrogant, that's, that's, as, that's as bad as, as being a homosexual because it's the same abominable practice before God. Now, do both of those sins have the same repercussions? No, they don't. <laughs> I mean, you can be pride and hard and you, only between you and God, but you, you do that other sin, and then you bring your, yourself, your body, somebody else's body into that, and your reputation is ruined. But I want to say, share this with you because I just, I just think we have to be careful when we point our fingers at people. You know, we can, we can be a prophet and we can say that is wrong, but we must always know that we are saved by God's grace, and we ought to have mercy and compassion on those uh, who are not like us. Somebody asked me a question the other day. It was a good question. I'm still thinking about the question. It was Monday morning. I was on a panel discussion with some guys, and, and they said, um, why is it, do you, th you think, in, in ethics as Christians, we're, we've come a long way with, uh, with abortion, a lot further than we have with homosexuality? And I thought that was a good question. Uh, and, and Dr. Richard Land uh, answered it, and, uh, and it was a great answer. I can't remember everything that he said, but because I, was, I could only think of, of one thing, and I thought about, you know, uh, we are making progress in the area of life and pro-life, and we have amassed a, a great army and resources, but something is fighting against us with this other sin, and it's called media. I mean, it is plastered in our face, and it, and it, it, is, it has done a job of convincing our younger generation that it really is okay. Because all of these people do it, all of these people practice it, it is, it, it must be okay. God must have created them that way. And we are bombarded over and over and over. And so get this, if you're bombarded with that and you never get bombarded with this, then you're, you're going to believe that. You're going to believe, well, it's just I'm made this way or, oh, I guess it's just okay. And we forget that the Bible says that is an abomination uh, before, before God. You know, I was, um, I was coming back uh, talking about besetting sins and, and, and none of us have reached the point of uh, sanctification. At least I haven't. Maybe you, maybe you have. I'd like to talk with you. I'd like for you to counsel me a little bit. Because, man, I'm, I'm driving back from Houston the other, night, other day and I've just listened to some great preaching, amazing music, and, man, I'm just like on a, on a spiritual high, you know, and I'm just like, man, this is, this is great. And I'm driving back to Austin, and I get to thinking about, okay, i got to do this. Man, i got to answer that guy, and i got to do this. i got to get ready for that. And I found myself, my hair started, it used to be blonde. You know, it started, to, it was turning. I felt a few more strands just kind of going. It's like the Holy Spirit, like, hello, hello, what are you doing? So I'm sinning. That's what I'm doing. I'm sinning before you, God, because I'm getting worried, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting concerned, and I know, and, and, and God's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Does he ever do that to y'all? 
you angels out there, you, you are all absolutely sanctified. And, and so I, I think Grudem's right. It is so easy to be tripped and to, and to sin against God. But the good thing is, I couldn't stay that way. It was like the Lord just kind of slapped me around a little bit and said, you need to confess that worry. You need to confess that concern because I've got this. I've got you. I've got your church. You don't need to worry. And by the way, that's not your church after all. That's my church. God talks to me like that. He says, that's not your worry. That's not your burden. I am your concern. And so, I don't know. That's just my issue I have to keep, keep working through. All right, number one is stages of sanctification. Number two is roles in sanctification. If y'all would quit talking so much, I would get more done. So y'all just keep talking to me and asking me all these questions. I'm just kidding if you're online. There's nobody asking any questions. I'm just kidding. Okay, roles in sanctification. Here it is. God and man play a part in the process of sanctification. Maybe you've heard it said like this. Um, Work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on on God. And and I get that. I don't want to press that too far in theology, but I get the, the point being made is that God plays the primary part, and he's the one, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, but we're also, we have a volition, we have a will, we have decisions that we make, and we also cooperate with God in this process. God's inspiration, our perspiration, I get that. Now again, we're not talking about earning our salvation, we're talking about growing in godliness and growing in our, uh, in our faith. Uh, God clearly plays the primary part. Let's, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 talks about God sanctifying us, mind, body, and spirit sanctifying us holy. God disciplines us in Hebrews 12, um, and he had, we know about that, and, and, and he works in us to bring about his good pleasure in Philippians 2.13. Okay, so that's God the Father's role in sanctification. Listen to this, God the Son has a role as well. Um, He plays a vital role, in fact. He's the one who saves and sanctifies. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul says uh, these words in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he talks about Christ and his role in our lives in sanctification. And the Holy Spirit plays a definitive role in our sanctification. Uh, He is the Holy Spirit. In our sanctification, Paul says, actually, he actually says this in 2 Corinthians 2.13, that our sanctification... Uh, is by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is our sanctifying sanctification. So in Galatians, we read about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All right? So I just thought that was interesting. And, and, and Grudem is such a great Trinitarian theologian. He, he, he brings in that our salvation, you see the role of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he said you also see biblically God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They play their role uh, in, in, in sanctification as well. Okay? Our role is important, however, and we should recognize that we do play a part and uh, we should depend on God's uh, ability and power, and yet we are also to participate with Him. Um, We should must, and we have to be on guard against growing lazy and neglecting the part that Scripture commands us to play our part. Uh, I like this verse. I want to share this verse with you. It says, We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, I think I used to have a, a, a faulty view of what, what that meant. It's almost like, what does that mean, to work out our salvation uh, with, with fear and, and trembling? But Grudem's helped me here, and he says what this means is we are to demonstrate our salvation uh, by the way that we live and the benefits of our salvation as we work and as we serve God. We are to flesh our salvation out. We are to show by our works and to show by our 
demonstrative acts that we indeed have been saved, and we're, that's fleshing itself out, and it's working itself out uh, among others. Uh, in my study Bible right here, it says, quote, uh, the ideal here in Philippians 2, 12, and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The ideal here is to progress to the finish line or completion in spiritual growth and maturity. This process is what the Bible calls sanctification, uh, end of quote. Okay, here's some biblical texts that point to our role in growing in sanctification. Hebrews 12, 14, if you're interested, I'm going to go through these kind of quick. Hebrews 12, 14 says we are to strive for uh, holiness. That's Hebrews 12, 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, we are to abstain from every kind of immorality. We are to abstain, okay? So that's our, our part in the process. In 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16, two times it says, Be ye holy as the Lord your God is holy. Actually, that's a quote from the book of, of Leviticus. Um, this discussion of holiness reminds me of a new song. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, I can barely talk this morning, much less sing, but I, it, it, David Crowder has a new song called I Am. You heard it, Brother Terry? It's a really good song. And, and he says, I am holding on to you. I am holding on to you. And somebody must have interviewed him and, and, and maybe tried to correct him and say, well, really, you know, it's not you holding on to God. It's God holding on to you. And he says, listen, I get that. He said, but I do have a part to play. I know God is holding on to me, and I'm eternally secure but I'm holding on to him, too. I have to hold on to him. I need him. I need to grasp a hold of him in faith and trust in him. So I think that was, uh, I think it was pretty good. I, I am. It talks about the dual role, God, God's role and our role. I think the hymn states it well. We are to trust, trust God and we are to obey God. I agree with Dr. Eliff, what he said last night. However, you cannot really trust God unless you are obeying God. No shortcuts in growing in holiness or godliness or exercising the spiritual disciplines. Um, let, me, let me mention these to you real quick. We, we do prayer, scripture reading, witnessing, fasting, worship, fellowship, self-control. We, we do those things, not in order that we might earn our salvation. Okay, I, That's already been secured. But we practice the spiritual disciplines to grow in godliness, to grow in sanctification. Okay. Uh, he makes a quote here from John Livingston who said, Satan strikes us either at the root of faith or, or the root of discipline or diligence. That's a powerful statement. Satan strikes us either at the root of faith or at the root of uh, diligence. So we need God and we need his help. We also need the community of God. We need the people of God. I love Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. We'll put it up here on the screen talks about the uh, corporate role that plays in our sanctification, the church. Uh, I want to say Paul, somebody say Luke, somebody said Apollos. I don't know who wrote it. I'm just glad they wrote the book of Hebrews. Amen. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and, are y'all reading the same Bible I am? And good works, okay? Let us stir one another up, love one another, encourage one another for good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but we exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day uh, approaching. And so I, I love this, this holistic approach to sanctification, that God, He has the primary preeminent role. We also play a role. We're just not passive beings and just say, well, I don't have to pray, and I don't have to read my Bible, I don't have to witness to anybody, because after all... I'm just going to heaven, and that's all that matters. No, we, we do play a part. And then, corporately, 
The body of Christ plays a part. We come alongside one another, we admonish one another, we exhort one another, encourage one another, so that we, we make our way to being more and more like Christ. Let, let me give you some concluding thoughts about uh, sanctification, and then we'll move right on into perseverance of the saints. Amen. Looking forward to, to that. Okay. So, uh, Grudem closes his whole chapter on sanctification on talking about how the whole, the whole dimension of man is affected by sanctification. Mind, emotion, will, spirit, and body. Mind, emotion, will, spirit, and body. Okay, so he talks about our minds, our intellects. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul says in Romans 12 too. Colossians 1.10 says, increasing in the knowledge of God. I love that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this is our mind. This is our mental uh, faculty. This is, this is our brain. This is what we use. We, we want it to be sanctified, all right? And we want to grow in godliness in the very thoughts that we think. And have you ever noticed that when you're really doing that and you're growing in godliness and you're walking with the Lord that when an aberrant thought comes or a temptation comes to your mind, you automatically recognize it. Have you ever noticed that? You're like, that's foreign. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be entertaining that. I shouldn't be thinking that. And so that's, that's a good sign that you're growing in godliness. Now, the problem is, James 1 says, you take that thought and say, hmm, let me think about that a little bit more. and Let, me, let that lead to lust or let, me, let that lead to envy or let, let that lead to anger. And so then James says it's full-blown, it's sin, gives birth to death. So you stop it right there in your mind. Remember that Romans 12 too, uh, to be renewed, renewed in our minds. How about our emotions? All right, our emotions are to grow in sanctification. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are to have fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, okay? Put away harmful attitudes and emotions like bitterness and wrath, and anger, Ephesians 4, 31. Some of you are looking at it like, brother, it's too much for 7 o'clock on Thursday morning. I, this is just too much. I tell you, to listening to you, Brother Danny, it's just like I got a long ways to go. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We've all got a ways uh, to go. We're, we're all in process. I'm telling you, the fact that you're here at 7.15, the fact that I'm up here teaching at 7.15 on a Thursday morning tells me a lot about you. I talk to people all the time. They say, you really do that? And you really have people come? And, and study God's Word at 645, oh, dark 30. I'm saying, yeah. He said, well, why are you doing it? I said, because we're trying to make our way to heaven. I said, we just want to earn, we just want to earn our salvation. Because if we, if we, we think if we just get up a little bit earlier and if, and if we just pray and fast a little bit more, then when we die, maybe, maybe, maybe God will say, all right, you did okay, come on in. That's not what I tell. That is not what I tell. In fact, I tell them just the opposite. I tell him, because I just love him. I love his word. I love everything about him. And I want to know him more. I want to be more fully devoted and committed to him. Because when I die, and he says, so why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's it. He died for me, and his blood cleansed me, and that's, that's why I'm walking on into glory. Sorry about preachy, getting a little preachy at you this morning. Maybe the coffee's kicking in. I'm waking up. All right, what about our wills, our, voli our volition, our, the volitional part of us? Should it also grow in sanctification? Our decision-making, if you will. Well, it should. Philippians 2.13 speaks of how, um, of how God is at work in us to will 
okay, to will and to work for his good pleasure. And what about the, uh, the non-physical part of us, the spirit? Should it grow in sanctification? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It gives us, uh, it gives us an answer. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We don't hear many sermons on holiness anymore, do we, guys? We don't. We don't hear hardly any teaching in the church today on sanctification and holiness and righteousness. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not easy. Because, number one, i got to be right with God before I stand up here and try to talk to you about being right with God, okay? And it's a lot easier just to give you all the 18 ways to have a blessed, happy, successful life instead of dealing with this stuff, you know. But see, I have a, I have a thought, I have a belief that my greatest gift I can give to you as a pastor teacher is to see, see you grow in godliness, to see you become a fully devoted, dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, so that when you are assailed by the frigid winds of sexual temptation, you stand your ground, you honor God, you honor your, your vows. Or that when you are tempted to do this, or you're tempted to cheat on that, and you're tempted that, that you say, no, the Spirit of God lives in me, the Word of God is embedded in me, and I've already made those decisions in the past, I'm not going down there. And so you have this depth about you, you have this maturity about you. My wife, she tells me constantly, she says, you know, our church... Is, is being known as that kind of church. That if you go to that church, it's serious, that church. They take the Bible very seriously, and they want you to grow. They demand a lot of you. They want you to be pure in Christ. I'm like, I, can I pastor that church? Said, yeah, you do. That, that's your church. All right, how about our bodies? Ooh, this gets interesting, doesn't it? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, uh, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, in bits and pieces, amen. Is that what it says? May he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, flesh, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So sanctification of the body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't give me this Greek dualism thing. That the body, the sark, the Greek word flesh, is inherently, intrinsically evil. So don't even talk about God trying to sanctify your body because that thing is just, it's just given over to sin. I mean, it's just given over to Satan. You just can't handle it. I mean, it's just going to sin. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you sanctify, God may sanctify our whole dimension of our person. How about 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God in your body. Okay. All right, some final thoughts, motivations for us to grow in Christ-likeness, sanctification, and holiness. Here's some motivations for us. Number one is because we desire to please God who has saved us. Okay? We, we do this because we want to please God and honor God with everything that we have, not in order that we might obtain his favor. He might let us into heaven. No, it's because like, it's like being married. You know, I do things for my wife. Uh, because I love her, and I, I want her to be pleased. I want her to be happy. Hey, man, a happy wife is a happy life for me, you know what I'm saying? But no, I, I do that because I love her, and, I, and I, want, I want to please her. How much more do I love my Heavenly Father, and I want to I please Him. I want to walk in fellowship with Him. So number two, a, a, a clear conscience. Man, if you're walking in holiness and sanctification, you have a clear conscience. 
I'm in good fellowship and relationship with Christ and others. I've made this statement many times, and I want to make it again. There is no power like that of a clear conscience. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Mm. No guilt in life. What do you mean, no guilt in life? I have a clear, clean conscience before God. And when I sin, not if, but when I sin, I say, Lord, please forgive me and help me make that right uh, right now between me and you and me and my fellow man. Number three, it helps point us to point unbelievers to Christ. We provide a good example for them to follow. 1 Peter 2, 12, 1 Peter 3, 16 talks about our behavior and how it presents a powerful witness to those who are without Christ. On Saturday, I preached on a text uh, to a group of pastors and, and uh, uh, churches in uh, the big city of Jasper, Texas. Amen. Well, it's pretty out there. It's almost in Louisiana. They said, you know, you're 15 miles from Louisiana. I said, I had no idea. I've just been driving forever, you know, just driving, driving, driving in Texas. And I preached on this text. Matthew 5, 16 says, um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And anybody know that rest of that verse? And glorify your Father in heaven. So in my life, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. In my talk, Lord, be glorified. In my actions, Lord, be glorified. And what does that mean? People look at me and they see Christ in me. And Jesus gets glory. He gets praise and honor because people look at me and you as Christians. They're like, hey, we know you're not perfect. Hey, we know you still, we, we know you still slip and fall. But man, you're walking with God and you have a desire to please God. Who is this God? He must, he must be real. Number five is eternal rewards motivate us. 1 Corinthians 3.14 talks about our, our rewards in heaven. And Grudem says in the big tome, the big theological work here, he talks about rewards a lot. I don't know if you've read the big book here, but he says we don't talk near as much as we should in, in Christianity about rewards. Uh, not that we're trying to earn God's favor. No, we are saved. We're going to heaven. But he says there are degrees in hell and there are degrees in, of, of rewards in heaven. And so it's fascinating. I mean, he really believes it. And I've really never thought about it that much. It's not that I disagree with him. It's just I've never, I'm talking about heaven. Hallelujah. I'm just going to be thrilled to, to be in heaven. And Jesus is my reward. But he brings out some, he lists a whole lot of scriptures that talk about eternal rewards. And so how our sanctification leads toward that. And then finally, number six, I just added this one. Um, to finish well not dishonor Christ or my family or my church, and to hear him say. Anybody? Well done. Man, don't you want to hear that, Felix? Don't you want to hear him say, Felix Daly? Oh, you scoundrel, you rascal. Man, you, you just made it in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. I tell you, it's just my grace alone. But, no, you want to hear him say, my grace alone, but boy, you sure did love me, and you sure served me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. Man, enter, enter the kingdom of Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that's what I want to hear him say. Okay, so he closes the chapter by pointing out that growing in godliness gives us great joy, and it will prepare us for the kind of life we will experience in heaven. All right, sanctification, holiness. Number four, oh, of mind, emotion, will, spirit, body. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Oh, I did skip one. I got so excited about Matthew 5.16 that I skipped the next one. Number four is to avoid God's discipline. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't think we talk near as much about that as we should. 
I mean, I fear God. I mean, I literally fear God. Not just trepidation, oh, this cowering down. But no, I know. I know God. And I know if I persist in that and I do that, he will spank me. I had one preacher say, if God doesn't spank me, then I'm nervous. Do I really belong to him? If I can continue to get away with that, ongoing, ongoing. And uh, in fact, I'll tell you who it was, James Merritt. He said, if I commit adultery against my wife, and God doesn't kill me, I'm going to be very concerned. <laughs> you say, that's kind of radical, isn't it? I like radical. I like thinking like that. I, think, I like thinking about, man, this is big stuff, and I have one life to offer him on this earth, and I want to give him my absolute best. So five was eternal reward. Six is just to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay? Y'all ready to go to perseverance of the saints? Oh, I've got more material on this. Then I did on this, and it's 7.30. Mm. Well, I know I'm not going to finish everything in 20 weeks. I already know that. So uh, I, I think we're just going to have to keep going, y'all. It may be uh, uh, me and Miss Vivian and Kathy, uh, you know, spring break, but they, we'll be here. There'll be two, where two or three are gathered. I don't know what y'all are doing for spring break, but I'm going to teach systematic <laughs> theology. And if you're here and you're in town, come. If not, and have fun skiing uh, for me, Okay. So perseverance of the saints. Number one, we're going to look at a definition, and we're going to look at the scriptural basis for it. Guys, I tell you, if there is, I mean, every lecture is important, every lesson is important, but I'm putting this one right up at the top because you're going to deal with this a lot. Uh, have you ever met a Church of Christ person? you ever met an Assembly of God person? you ever read some of the doctrinal statements of, 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 of many Christians? They don't agree with this. They do not believe once saved, always saved. I mean, we got some people in our church probably don't believe this. They just don't believe it. All right, so what does it mean? Here's a good definition. It means that all those who are truly born again, are you all with me? That's the key word. That is the absolute operative word in the whole discussion. Those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power, and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. That's Grudem's definition, and it's a good one. It's on page 78, 788 if you're interested. That all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. So God has the power to keep those who are his, and all those who are truly born again will demonstrate it through their lives, and they will continue in this upward journey toward heaven. Uh, as I said a moment ago, very debated among Christians, those in the Wesleyan, Arminian tradition just absolutely disagree with it, but those in the Reformed tradition and, and most Baptist absolutely uh, affirm it. Okay, so let's look at these statements. A is those born again will persevere. And again, the emphasis here is more on Christ and what he does than on what we do. He is the one who keeps us because we are his children. To question, okay, to question if a person truly saved will go to heaven is a question about the power of God. You are now questioning the power of God. If God says, you are my child, and I hold you in the palm of my hand, John 10, and I, my hand's in the Father's hand. Ephesians 1, you have been given a deposit, a guarantee, the Holy Spirit. Listen, if I can get out of that, 
that tells me more about, that makes a statement more about God than it makes about me. Then I'm telling God, sorry, you, you failed. You, you said you could keep us. You said we would be yours, but you actually failed if I can lose my salvation. That's why I get a little nervous when I'm talking with people the older I get. I'm like, let's turn this thing around. You're making a statement more about God than you realize. Because the Bible says nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Then they make the argument. But what about me? I say, are you somebody? You ever heard that argument? Well, I... I want to walk away from God. No, nobody's pulling me out of God's hand. I willfully, I want, to, I want to walk away from God. Well, then that's a whole other discussion. I mean, were you ever in Christ? That's the discussion I've had recently with one of my family members who says, I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. I totally disavow that. I don't believe that anymore. And you know what the truth is? He never believed it in the first place. Because if the Spirit of God is living within you, you are secure. You are, you are safe. And by the way, what a wonderful way to live life. I mean, I am secure in, in Christ. I drive down the road, have a bad thought, have an evil thought, and I don't confess it to God, and I have a wreck, and I go to hell. Hello! Man, what a way to live! Woo! What a way to... That is no way. That is no way to live. That is, that is a bondage kind of way uh, to live. I get a little excited about this. Y'all stay with me. John 6, 38. Let's look at this, what Jesus says. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me. All right? That of all he has given me, I should lose just a few of them. <laughs> I lose none of them. But I will raise them up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have... Guys, so many times we forget this next word. We, we forget that that word eternal or everlasting means eternal and everlasting. God gives you, a, 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 he gives you eternal life. Now, is that eternal life up to a point where you lose? No, no, no you can't. He, he says, I give them everlasting life, and I, Jesus Christ personally, I will raise him up at the last day. This is my responsibility. It's like God saying, this is my responsibility. I will keep those who are truly mine. Uh, John 10, 27 through 29, please jot that down. Jesus says, I give eternal life to my children. They will never perish. In verse 28, it has the strongest Greek construction that you can write. It says, and they shall certainly, no, not perish. They will not perish forever. Okay? Uh, the word eternal, I was just talking about that. Ionios. Ionios. It means life without end. Uh, my favorite verse on Assurance of salvation is 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. Romans 8, 1, Paul says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, and eternal hell is the epitome of condemnation. <laughs> you with me? Hell is, is epitome of condemnation. But if we're in Christ, then we don't get that. We don't get condemnation. Romans 8.30 says those who are predestined and called and justified are glorified. And if God has the power to predestine me and elect me, does not God have the power to keep me? I mean, where is it that you miss it? I mean, you're elected, you're chosen, you're born again, and you die, and you're like, well, maybe. maybe. Help me now, help me. What am I missing here? That speaks so much. I don't think people realize the blasphemy 
that they're telling God, you can't do something because you can't keep what? You know, and there's a what about the person? I'm not worried about the person. I'm more concerned about God. And he's true. He literally can keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Can I tell you what I really think about this in just a minute? Okay, just kidding. All right, let's look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. This, to me, I had a professor say the greatest uh, book in the Bible on the, on the security of believers is the book of Ephesians. It's kind of hard to argue with it. In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you have believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who? Now, the antecedent for who is the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's not an it, he is a he. Who, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee. The guarantee of what? He's the guarantee of your inheritance of heaven until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Until that glorified, resurrected body, I mean, you are on your way and the Holy Spirit of God is in you. You cannot break a divine seal. It's just, it's just impossible. Okay? He's our down payment. He is our deposit. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives with, within us. Uh, God who begins a good work in you will bring it to completion. Uh, Philippians 1.6, a verse I used recently to try to help someone was 1 Peter 1.5. It says, we are kept by the power of God. Fruao, fruao means to keep from harm, to keep from escaping. And then Grudem makes this statement. He said, if God's guarding has as its purpose... The preservation of believers until their full heavenly salvation, then it is safe to conclude that God will accomplish that purpose and they will, in fact, attain that final salvation. Ultimately, listen, ultimately, one more time, ultimately, their attainment of final salvation depends on God. It depends on God and His power. Okay, B, only those truly born again will persevere to the end. Now, here comes the, well, what about so-and-so? And And then, what about Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10? What about Revelation 3, 5? I mean, I get this a lot. I I do. I I get this. Well, guys, the Bible is not going to be so clear and definitive in one breath and then say something totally opposite in another breath. Y'all with me? That is the basic axiom of hermeneutics. That's the first thing they teach you in seminary, is that you must interpret a text within the greater framework of the whole text, the whole Bible. And when you do that, it's going to prevent you from being some renegade, renegade theologian, because it will tie you to the doctrines of Scripture, because God's not going to contradict himself like us. Okay? Only those truly born again. You say, that sounds a lot like the first point, but the, the emphasis here is on the word truly. Okay? And I can't accentuate that more, that those who are truly born again, they are the ones who have assurance of salvation. They are the ones that are guaranteed that he or she will live forever uh, with God uh, in heaven. So many, oh my word, have had what I've called a pseudo-salvation. They had an emotional decision. They were never born again by the Spirit of God. They prayed the sinner's prayer, they got baptized, and they never were saved. They never were saved. Uh, because I tell you, a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And the only, th- only way we, we go to heaven is just God's grace, through faith and repentance. And if you don't understand that, or if you have this easy believism, or just this flippant, um, then, then that's not genuine uh, salvation. 
And that's why I think some people act the way they do, even though they say they're Christians, because they never have, they've never really met him. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Um, if you are continually, habitually abiding in my word, you belong to me. If you continually, habitually abide in sin, you don't belong to me. Um, that's, that's what the scripture says. Um, those who continue with Christ in the faith, Colossians 1, 22 and 23, they demonstrate the genuineness of their salvation. It's evidenced by the life that they live. And uh, those who fall away from the faith never possess the faith in the first place. I cannot say that strong enough. Those who fell away from the faith, apostatized, never were in the faith in the first place. Because, because if they were in the faith in the first place, God can't lose something. He can't, where, where did she go? My land? Where did where'd that person go? Angel, I can't find them. They slipped right out of my hand. They, they slipped right out. I can't find them. I can't say that. I never can say that. I never can say, God, you, you, he got away from you. He's the one that got away. You know, he's the, he's the fish that got away because, you know, no. To, to say that says something about God I cannot say about him. Those who fall away from Christ, no longer believe in him, have no desire for the things of God, like the word of God, prayer, church. They demonstrate by their actions they never knew him. They never knew him. I think we do a great disservice to people uh, when we give them this easy believism that does not have the biblical requirements of repentance uh, and faith. Now, I'm just reading my notes here, but you'll, just stay with me. Our church roles are full of people, full of people who no longer go to our church, anybody's church. They no longer have a desire to serve God and please God. And they live like the devil, and they truly, utterly believe they are going to heaven because they prayed a prayer and they got baptized. I'm on my way. Um, I, I wrote here in my notes, what a sad reality awaits them. I tell you, the, the verse, you know, there are verses that get your attention. All verses get my attention, but nothing gets my attention like Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Many will say on to that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and do that? And Jesus turns to them and says, have y'all read the story? I don't know who, I don't know who you are because I never did, I never was a part of your life genuinely. So we'll talk about that next time. We'll pick up with C. Those who fall away from Christ can give many external signs that they are converted. So we'll look at Matthew 7 and we're going to plunge right into Hebrews 6 next week, okay? And that's such an important text because it says those who have tasted uh, those who are partakers of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it describes a person you think, man, that person is absolutely saved. And, then, and John Calvin, I think, is absolutely right when he says, no, Hebrews 6 tells you about a person who is so close to being saved, but they never genuinely were born again. That's why they have fallen, uh, fallen away. Okay, so I'm on page 6, and I was supposed to get through page 9. Yay! Yay! Okay, so we'll stop here, and I, well, we've got a full minute. If you want to make a statement or ask a question, uh, feel free to do so. Ross Hartsfield said, 
biggest issue with him about sanctification is the sins of uh, omission. Uh, commission is when we do things we shouldn't do. Omission is when we, we don't do the things that we should do. Or we don't say the things that we should say. Or we don't think the thoughts that we should think. Brother Dan, how do, you, how do you know that? Every morning I pray that prayer. God, forgive me of my sins of commission. Also forgive me of my sins of omission. Thank you, Brother Ross. That's a good word on sanctification. Anybody else? Anybody else? A comment, a question? Man, it's 745. Yeah. So, okay, well, thank you for coming. God bless you, and uh, we'll say a prayer for you and ask the Lord to, to send you out. John, John Bailey, good Bible scholar, teacher he is. I'm going to ask him to pray us out this morning. Would you do that, brother? Pray for us.